0: Continue our worship now by looking to the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 11. Pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, You you are our rock and our Redeemer. Thank You for Your Son, Jesus. Thank you for the salvation that is in him. We thank you, Lord, that we have the good news of forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ, who died and rose again on our behalf. For Lord, we praise you. We worship you this day. We pray that as your word is is taught, that your spirit would fill us, that your spirit would teach us, that your spirit would show us and cause us to know even more the greatness of this good news that we celebrate on this Easter Sunday. Lord, we pray that you would do a work in causing us to love you more and to live for you in a way that reflects the glory due your name. Thank you, Father, for Jesus, whose name is above every name, upon whom there's no other name upon which we may be saved. Thank you, God, for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. We pray in his name. Amen. This Sunday morning, we uh, celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that is good news for us. And I know that in our world, there is oftentimes many other uh, instances of good news, and perhaps over the past few weeks, you might have been following some of you are sports fans, so you might have been following a March Madness, uh, perhaps, the uh, NCAA men's basketball tournament, particularly. But you might have heard the story of the, the, at least this tournament, Cinderella Team, from uh, little Oral Roberts University. Uh, as you know, maybe you don't know, or uh, among the team of 64, it was uh, it had reached the Sweet 16, the round of 16, and this made news because since 1985, when there were, where we, the the tournament had expanded to 64 teams, only two 15 seeds, there's uh, four 15 seeds, and they and the only two seeds had ever reached that far, and this was the second, Oral Roberts University. Um, But what made news at least so good the feel good for us Christians is that you maybe you heard about it. It was on the news in in different places. It was the testimony of their coach, Paul Mills. At a particular press conference, he said these words. And I love it because they were asking him, you know, what do you guys think? Are you guys special, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, in 100 years, none of us will be here. And what our guys need to understand is we're really not that important. (laughs) <laughs> that's pretty cool. They just accomplished probably the most important thing, that, you know, big thing in their life, and, he says, and that's what he says, right? And you need to know that. He continued, 120 million people gather every Sunday, and 180 million on Easter gather to celebrate one name, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. I love that quote. I just love it. It's just a profound truth, a, a powerful truth, especially on this Easter Sunday. Coach Mills testifies profoundly to the greatness of the name of Jesus Christ over all humankind, over all humanity. As many as are the accomplishments of mankind throughout history, men and women, children together, no other person has done more to impact humanity than our Lord Jesus Christ. On this day, this Easter Sunday, we gather with over 180 million people across our country and over 2 billion people across the world. Gathering in the name of Jesus Christ with one primary message. And this message is what every genuine Christian believes and proclaims. The Bible calls this message the gospel, the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. In every generation, in our generation, those who would profess to be Christians need to have a firm grasp of the gospel. The gospel is, is too important to take previous the previous generation's a word for it, in fact, even if it comes from our parents, from our Sunday school teachers, our pastors, or other respected individuals. The gospel is too important to allow others, or worse, the world to define what it ought to be. The gospel is so important that each generation must look to God in his word alone for how we define the gospel. For God defines it. it belongs, It is his message. From, it is from him. And we therefore need to look to his word to understand and grasp what we are believing. In our passage this morning, we're going to hear how God defines the gospel so that we may know it, that we may believe it, and that we will then how understand clearly what we are to proclaim. This passage reminds us of this gospel that you and I who have gathered here this morning believe and proclaim as followers of Christ. And that is the good news, the gospel of Jesus. This passage uh, is in the book of 1 Corinthians and the Apostle Paul had start, helped start this church in Corinth but at this time, some in the Corinthian church had become, for some reason or other, had become convinced that there was actually no resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Christ didn't really rise from the dead, that he was still dead, in fact, that they, that they didn't believe that there was a resurrection of the dead, they didn't, and that simply the body and soul, when, they die, when the body dies, the soul dies as well, and there's, that's it. But this chapter is Paul's exposition on the reality of the resurrection of Christ. To deny the resurrection of Christ was to render the Christian faith worthless, according to Paul, according to God. So, in these verses, Paul begins with a reminder of the gospel which he had preached to the Corinthians when they first which they had first believed upon, and the gospel that they had themselves received and had held to at some point. He wants them to remember this gospel as we look at this past for ourselves, they're reminders for us about what is the gospel message that was proclaimed to us. And what was the gospel message that we believed and what is the gospel message that we proclaim. And for an outline today, we're going to look at three truths regarding the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ that every Christian believes and proclaims. Every genuine, true Christian believes and proclaims. This is the gospel according to the God in his word. So let's look. We're going to read the scriptures within the sermon this morning. And the first, uh, the first uh, truth regarding uh, the good news of Jesus Christ that every Christian believes and proclaims is that this is, number one, the good news is salvation for you. The good news is a message of salvation for you. Look at verse 1 and 2 with me of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul here is reminding the Corinthians about the gospel which he had preached to them. He's this, the word gospel that we find here in our Bibles is the Greek word euangelion, from which we get our uh, English words like evangelist, evangelism. And the word literally means, as you many of you know, good news, good news. The gospel is good news. The gospel that Paul preached was the same message, though, not just it wasn't a message he he made up, but it was the same message that Jesus Christ, our Lord, preached as well. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, he went throughout all Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, the gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus revealed in in his ministry, particularly when he was in the synagogue of Nazareth, that his ministry of preaching the the gospel was a fulfillment of Scripture, a fulfillment of Isaiah Isaiah 61, verse 1, in fact. Uh, There he read, and this is Isaiah 61, verse 1, Isaiah writes of the Messiah, "...the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me..." That's the same word that's used to translate Messiah, uh, "...to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and freedom to prisoners." This verse in Isaiah 61 was a, a prophecy that the spirit-filled, anointed Messiah would come to bring good news. That you will know the Messiah because he's going to come and he's going to deliver good news to you. It will be good news to those who are afflicted. And we looked at this when we went through Isaiah many years back. And this refers to those who have, are humbled by their sin-cursed condition. God brings, uh, God brings good news to those who are humbled by their sin-cursed condition in the sin cursed world his was a message of healing to the brokenhearted liberty for captives freedom for prisoners his was a message of deliverance his was a message of salvation the good news is a message of salvation and and though it may apply to physical uh, and physical aspects, but ultimately it is a salvation from the curse of sin now we all love good news i think we all love good news. We all, because when we hear good news, it brings us, it's something that brings us joy. You know, it's like uh, back in the days, you used to get those publishers' clearinghouse sweepstakes, and, and I love it because it would have my name on the front, and it says, "Henry Tam, you may have already won three million, whatever, 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 whatever it was. I forget that back in the days." And I was, "Oh man, that's good news because it has my name on it. That's good news for me." It's, if it says, "Oh, uh, Antonio," my dad's name, Tony Antonio Tam. Oh, you have one. it's oh, that's, that's good news for dad, but it's not really good news for me. You know whether you know, good news is good news because it's good news for you whether it's a promotion that you receive, or, or when there, it's a, the first child or grandchild that you have uh, welcomed into this world, you get into a, a school or the program that you want to, you get that job or you purchase that first, uh, get that first house uh, 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 purchase. It feels good because it involves you. If someone else gets the promotion, someone else gets, is expecting a child, someone else gets into the school, if someone else gets that job or house, well, while we, of course we may feel happy for them, but it's not necessarily good news for you and me. See, the message, but the message of salvation is not just good news for others. It is, but it's also good news for you. It's good news for me. It's a message of salvation for you. Just look at these verses 1 and 2. How often we find the pronoun you mentioned here. (laughs) It's it's all over the place. The gospel is preached to you. The gospel received by you. In the gospel, you stand firm. By the gospel, you are being saved. That is, being sanctified. You hold felt to the gospel. You believe the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is clearly good news for you, Paul is saying to the Corinthians. It impacts you. It impacts your life. It's received by you. It's for something you respond to. Notice there, by the way, in that long kind of, just that whole description of all the ways that the gospel affects your life, you, there's a conditional statement there. There's a conditional phrase that says, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you. And that phrase can possibly lead to some erroneously thinking that, that there's a, a works kind of salvation, that somehow if we, if we hold fast uh, to the word, um, that by our, the deeds that we do, by um, our sanctification, that that, that, uh, that, that is somehow, uh, that they might lead to our salvation. But Paul's warning here is for those who are professing Christians, who are basically denying the resurrection, uh, an essential truth of the gospel. And so Paul is saying those who fail to hold fast the word, who should stop believing, who do not believe, no longer believe in the resurrection of the from the dead or the resurrection of Christ, they essentially, if they hold keep holding on to that, they reveal that they never had a genuine faith. It was simply a shallow faith. Or the word Paul uses is they have a vain faith. It was it was faith in, you know, in in kind of like in outwardly, but it wasn't a faith inwardly. It wasn't a response to genuine belief in the true in truth of Christ's resurrection. The message of, of the good news is that it's salvation for you. And the good news, however, does you no good if you don't do anything with it, if you don't respond to it. It's like having a cure for a life-threatening disease, but if you don't take it, it won't save you. It's like having a parachute as you, on your back as you jump out of the gate out of, the, of a plane, you know, and it's not going to save you unless you pull on the release. The good news is for you, it's for your salvation, but only if you receive the gospel. You must believe in the gospel. Jesus said in Mark 1.15, Repent and believe in the gospel. Once you've received it, you will be saved as you hold fast to the good news. I'm sorry, moving on. Sad reality, though, is that each one of us are infected with something much worse than a life, life-threatening disease. We're all under the curse of sin. Um, and we praise God that he has provided uh, for our salvation from sin. The good news is that there is salvation for you in Christ, for your sins, that you might be forgiven, that you might live. It's the message that we've all believed. It's the message that we proclaim. When Christ died and rose again, it was on our behalf including me and including you. this leads us to the second truth, which uh, we can see on the screen now, regarding the good news of Jesus Christ, and that every Christian believes and proclaims. And that is the good news is Christ's death and resurrection. That the good news is a message of Christ's death and resurrection. We see this in verses 3 to 8. It's a lengthy section. I'll read it for totality. Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. that After that, he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also." In these verses, Paul summarizes the gospel that he had preached to the Corinthians. Uh, notice, first of all, that this gospel message is of first importance. Paul says he, he says this is a, I delivered to you as of the most important priority. It's the most important message that I could give to you. It's the first thing I wanted to give to you. A message is the first important, uh, a first important message that any Christian can can, can proclaim. And of course, over this past year, just think about it. Think about. Uh, What you've heard from Kissinger, you follow the news, Christian news. and What are you hearing from churches, from Christians around the world this past year? We've had a lot of different messages. We've proclaimed and talked about a lot of things. And and we sometimes, and we do speak to different, various issues. We've spoken out on uh, churches and Christians have spoken on on social issues like racism, religious freedom. The churches have spoken out for or against political candidates, political issues. And there are so many countless other things that the, the church has probably spoken about this past year. And there are many worthy social, political, economic issues that the Scriptures could address that we could have a conversation about. But none of these issues have a greater priority in the Christian's life, in the church's life, than the proclamation of the good news of Christ's death and resurrection. As we observe further in this text, this good news boils down to two essential truths. You know these two truths. The number truth, number one, is Christ's death for us, Christ's substitutionary death. It says, Paul says, I deliver to you as a first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. This past Friday, we remembered Christ's substitutionary death, that Christ died for our sins in place of us. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteous of God in him. See, all of us are sinners who deserve that eternal punishment from in hell, separated from God, because He is holy and righteous. Yet the sinless Son of God came and He was and, and took on the form of man and He on the, was nailed to the cross to take on our sin, to pay the penalty of our sins. He died in our place. So that we who believe in Him are forgiven of our sins and saved from the penalty of our sin. In fact, We see this further when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came to be that sacrificial substitute to save us from our sin. He is the Lamb of God, the the ultimate Passover Lamb. Scriptures consistently teach this, not only in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament as well. And perhaps the best known is in Isaiah 53. And I don't want to read from verses 5 and 6, so there's a lot more in Isaiah 53, but these can stand out. Speaking of the, the suffering servant, But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. This was written by the prophet Isaiah 700 years before the birth of Christ. Prophecy fulfilled to the T in Jesus of Nazareth. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that's what we believe. That's the number of first importance for us. When we proclaim the message of the gospel, it's that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for me. Christ died for you on the cross. The second essential truth of the gospel is Christ's bodily resurrection. Christ's bodily resurrection. And this is the part, we tend to leave this part out, really, when we talk about the gospel. Jesus Christ died for you. you know, and that's, that's significant because he died as a substitute for us. But we tend to leave out this part. But yet, Paul makes it very clear. It's the second aspect of the gospel. And that He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. On Easter Day, we remember and celebrate Christ's bodily resurrection. We say bodily resurrection because it is not just like a a spiritual resurrection. It's not just his soul came alive. His body actually came alive from the grave, from the tomb. And he was raised on the third day, according to the promises of Jesus. In the original greek language the word raise is, is a, actually it's a different tense it stands out among the other verbs in this passage it's a perfect tense we, uh, the, in greek and that perfect tense conveys that an action that happened in the past that continues to the present it's something that happened in the past that has continuing effect into the presence see when we say that jesus died that has in a sense he's not still dead today but when we say that jesus is risen was raised from the dead that has, it continues to this day that he's not, he didn't, was raised like many other people raised and then died again, like Lazarus. He was raised never to die again. He's raised and he's still living today. Jesus is risen. So as we celebrate Easter Sunday week and then all say, and this is what is our, our anthem even on this day, that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Like the substitutionary atonement, the bodily resurrection of Christ is also taught in the scriptures, both New and Old Testament. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 40, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What's more, in the Psalms, we read this, uh, 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 the the psalmist writes, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to under decay. To undergo decay. So not only the death and resurrection, both events were predicted in the Old Testament scriptures, but both were also confirmed by the historical evidence. Paul makes that clear in, his, in, his, in what he writes here, that the death of Christ was confirmed by the fact that he was buried in a tomb. That tomb, you can, you can go visit that tomb today. In fact, if you go to Israel, they'll say this is his tomb and this is where he's buried. But this is not just in our day, 2,000 years later, but even in those days they knew where the tomb was. They could go to the tomb, they could look for the body. Everybody saw him put in that tomb. In fact, there were Roman guards that were placed there to prevent anyone from taking the body away. They rolled this huge stone over that that generally it took several individuals to be able to remove. It was confirmed that he was buried. That was a confirmation that he died. His resurrection was also confirmed by historical evidence. That is, his appearance to others. Paul lists this, this, this pretty lengthy list of eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection, with, of whom the resurrected Jesus uh, Christ appeared to. He includes Peter, the 12, more than 500 brethren even, James, the brother of Jesus, all the apostles, and then finally Paul himself. All these people saw, and as of Paul's writing, some had fallen asleep, but there were still many who, had, who were still living in this day? If anyone wanted to disprove, they could have. And if it was a, it was a scam, they could have gone to any one of them and said and expected one of them to say, "Oh yeah, no, we really didn't see it. It was just, it was just uh, you know, it was, it was really a lie." They all would have been available at that, as of Paul's writing here, to corroborate or deny Paul's statement. But we have zero historical evidence, zero historical documents that say that anyone says that. Christ did not rise from the grave. The only one is actually found in the scriptures. We've talked about the Roman guards who were told and paid money to say that his disciples actually came and stole his body while they were sleeping. Imagine that. What kind of testimony is that going to hold up in court if you say, Well, you know, I, I know it happened because I was sleeping. It happened when I was sleeping. How could you witness it then? It's not possible. Anyways, no, that's a side. But uh, in, a, in a book that uh, I have uh, in, in my library called Christianity on Trial, a lawyer examines the Christian faith by a guy named W. Mark Lanier. He lists among many of the direct eyewitnesses to the resurrection Jesus, Matthew, John, Paul, Peter. But there were also, he lists secondary witnesses as well, Mark, Luke, and, and many of the early church martyrs, like guys like Polycarp. And considering that these witnesses did not do so for profit or fame, remember, they did so at the risk of their life. And freedom. They did so at risk uh, that they would receive some penalty, that they could lose their lives testifying to the resurrection of Christ. That it made their testimony, their witness, even as secondary, even for those who are secondary witnesses, as more credible and reliable witness. Chuck Colson uh, has famously written: Men will give their lives for something they believe to be true. They will never give their lives for something they know to be false. And all the apostles, as well as many of those early church fathers, those martyrs like Polycarp, they all gave their lives. They all were willing to die, all willing to be burned, crucified, cut in half, all willing to die for the truth of the resurrection of Christ. No one's going to die. You, you would expect of all these people that someone along those, no, no, I, it, was just a, it was just a joke. It was a scam. Was, and, then before, and so they could deny Christ and, and move on. And to this day, no one has disproven the resurrection of Christ. The substitutionary death and bodily resurrection are basically two sides of the coin to the gospel message. Both are equally important. Both are essential to the gospel. It's impossible to have one without the other. To deny or disprove either one of these doctrines is to deny or disprove the Christian faith. Thankfully, the good news tells us that both Christ's death and resurrection are realities. Because the scripture says so. And on top of that, the historical evidence corroborates it. As human beings, we are limited and finite in our knowledge. But we can thank God that the all-knowing God has revealed to us the, de- the death and resurrection of his son in his book. And we who read it, know it, and believe it are saved. Paul would write elsewhere in Romans 4.25, these words. He, speaking of Jesus, who was delivered over because of our transgressions, was raised because of our justification. Jesus Christ, we see Christ's death, Christ's resurrection here in this verse. And both are necessary for our salvation. His death, his, his being delivered over, was for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins. But he was raised, he was raised from the dead as a vindication of his Righteousness. That if he remained in the grave, then it would show that he he deserved to die for sins. But because he didn't deserve to die, God raised him. He was raised, by the way, that God the Father raised him from the dead. Because or of our for the sake of our justification, that, so that his righteousness would be shown and that, that his righteousness would then be credited to our accounts when we believe upon him. Because we stand, it's not just when we come to be saved, it's not just that our sins get wiped out. We actually need righteousness. And that righteousness only comes from the perfect righteousness of Christ, which God looks upon. Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the grave for our salvation. Now, some may consider this old-fashioned religion, they may consider that, oh, you guys, church, still talking about the death and resurrection of Christ? Some might say, that's too fundamental. You know, we need, don't you know, we are woke now. We need to talk about these issues. It might be considered too simplistic. You know, all you talk about is Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, and he rose from the grave. That's so, that's so simple. Remember, the Greeks said it was foolishness, too. Nevertheless... The truth of Scripture teaches us that the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection are of first importance. It is a message that is for us, for our salvation, that we might be saved. And that is our message that we believe. It is our message that we proclaim. Everything else that we, that we have to say, we have to speak about, we have to have a conversation about, is secondary. And, that has this, and, they, and they may have their place. But this is for primary, the gospel the good news of Christ's death and resurrection. Lastly, our third uh, and final truth regarding the good news of Jesus Christ that we believe and proclaim is this, and that is in verse 9-11, the good news is grace for sinners. The good news is a message of grace for sinners. Paul writes in verse 9-11, For I am least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them; yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Here in verse nine, eleven, Paul reflects on his calling as an apostle. That he remember he was not uh, he was not among the twelve. He was not one of the, the guys who had spent three years with Jesus, saw his heard him. And so Paul considered himself the least of the apostles. In fact, he says he wasn't even fit to be called on one. Because why? Because he was a sinner. He was a persecutor of the church of God. Recall how in Acts, Paul not only gave basic hearty approval when Stephen was stoned by the masses, But he also then was so uh, zealous that he, he ravaged, the scripture says, he ravaged the church. He was dragging off men and women, fathers and mothers, to be imprisoned for following Jesus Christ. But then, he came and met Jesus, or Jesus came and met him on the road to Damascus. And Paul acknowledges, as he, reminds, he writes here, that he knows that being called as an apostle was not because of anything he had done. It began you not know, because of anything that he was. In fact, everything that he was and everything he had done was, would have made him unworthy to be an apostle. And he so acknowledged that it was simply, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, you are what you are in Christ, and I am what I am in Christ. All of us, by the grace of God, were unworthy sinners and who but yet were saved because of God's grace simply by the grace of God Paul became an apostle Paul became a Christian and Paul became a servant of the Lord three times in verse 10 Paul mentions God's grace God's grace God's grace God has shown him from him undeserved unmerited favor and blessing and Paul realized that he is he is what he is, all it is, is by the grace of God. God's grace saved him on the road to Damascus as he was going to arrest Christians. God's grace called him to be an apostle, though he really was un, had done only so much to hurt the church and persecute church, the church. God's grace gave him the strength to labor, in fact, more than the other apostles. God's grace enabled him to write more letters than in, in the New Testament than any other apostles. God's grace enabled him to start more churches than any of the other <laughs> apostles. And Paul humbly recognized, and though these are things that man might boast in, he recognized that it was the grace of God with me. The grace of God with me. And just as it was by God's grace that Paul was called, so also it was by God's grace that the Corinthians believed the good news. He writes in verse 11, "...whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed." See, it doesn't matter to Paul who was preaching the gospel to the Corinthians. It doesn't matter that it was it was him, but it doesn't really matter that it was him, because it's the good news is not about the power of the preacher. It's not about the eloquence of the preacher. It's about the power of the message itself. The message itself has the power to save. Paul writes elsewhere in Romans one saying, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes in the gospel is saved by the grace of God." We're all familiar with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not the of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And just as Paul received grace to proclaim the gospel, so the Corinthians received grace to hear and to receive the gospel themselves. And similarly, for you and I today, uh, in, our, in our day and age, it is by God's grace that we, are, that we proclaim the gospel and that by the same grace, people are going to hear and receive the gospel. And so we want to be faithful. See, the gospel of God is not for good people. The gospel of God is grace for sinners. You know, the world likes to think that, that people are inherently good. That's, that's humanism for you. Hey, we're inherently good. And we just simply make bad choices occasionally. Good people, but when we think of ourselves as good people, really good people don't need saving from sin. Like healthy people just don't need a doctor. But God is not looking for people who are worthy to be saved or worthy to be his messengers. He's not looking for healthy people. He's looking for sinners who will recognize that there are sinners. Sinners who recognize they need God's grace. Sinners who will then recognize because they've received God's grace are going to be impassioned to go tell others about God's grace because I was not saved by anything I did, and I was a terrible sinner. And so I want to tell you, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, you too can be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And the most effective preachers are going to understand this, of the grace of God. And, the most, and, people are, and we must understand that those who are going to respond are only going to respond because of the grace of God, not by our eloquence, not by our, our passion even, but by God's grace alone. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will receive salvation from their sins because of his death and resurrection. This is the message of the gospel. It is our good news. It's the message that we believe. It's the message that we proclaim. And it has been nearly 2,000 years since Christ's death and resurrection. Many great people have come and gone. They've left their mark on history. Yet Jesus Christ's name remains the only name under heaven and earth by which anyone may be saved. His death and resurrection still have the power to save all who would trust in him. The good news remains a message of salvation for you and for me through Christ's death and resurrection so that sinners like us can find grace. In 100 years from now, we will be gone. If the Lord tarries, I wonder, what will be here? What will remain of San Francisco Bible Church. Will this church remain faithful to the Lord in proclaiming the gospel or will it fade into history? There's a saying that one generation believes the gospel, the next generation assumes the gospel, and the following generation denies the gospel. Brothers and sisters, every church, including this church, is only one generation away from becoming a dead church let us not be a, the generation that assumes the gospel especially those of us that were raised in christian homes that were, grew up in this church that we didn't get saved out of your you know like uh, of a, a, your uh, an adult Christ, unsaved christian life we we forget that even if for some of us we were saved that like we forgot it's been 20 30 years since that point and we forgot we think we sometimes think we're good people and we tend to assume the gospel Let us not assume the gospel. Let us believe the gospel. Let us hold fast to the gospel by which we are saved. Let us be a generation that believes the gospel and proclaims the gospel as of first importance, a gospel message that is good news of salvation for you and for me. It's a message of Christ's death and resurrection. It's a message of Christ, of God's grace for sinners. Let me leave you with three, just simply three questions, kind of for discussion for those of you that have discussion groups throughout the week. The uh, question number one is Have you responded to the gospel? Have you responded yet to the gospel? It's a message for you. Somebody, but have you responded to it? I hope you have. And if you have, then you just say, shout amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But have you received it? Have you believed it? Are you standing in it? Is it something you stand firm in? Are you holding fast to it, brothers and sisters? Second question I encourage, leave you with is When you witness to others, what is the good news that you share? What is that message that you share? Is Christ's death and resurrection of first importance? Is that the heart of your gospel presentation? We can say many other things. We can talk about God's love and God's mercy. We can all about how God's compassion. We can talk about how God will meet you where you are. God will accept you as you are. But we cannot. We can share all that part. And those are else, can be elements of the gospel. But we cannot leave out that Christ died for you. And Christ rose from the grave for you. That's the first importance. And I'll leave you a third question for you to discuss. How does God's grace in your life affect your proclamation of the gospel? How does God's grace, as you reflect in God's grace in your life, how does that impact and affect uh, (laughs) your your proclamation of the gospel? May may the Lord continue uh, to build his church through the proclamation of the gospel, that he has entrusted to us through the apostles, through his scriptures, to this church today, and may pass it on to the next generation, so that years from now, when we all fade away, because we're, we're, we're nothing, but Jesus will be everything. And whoever is who will be here will be praising and worshiping God on Easter Sunday because someone was faithful to pass on to them and the procl- the proclaim to them the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. For Christ died for our sins, and he rose from the grave so that we might be saved. Let's give thanks and praise to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the good news of the gospel. And we thank you, Lord, that you've entrusted this message to us. You've not just passed it on orally to us through our parents and through those whom we love, our pastors, and our Sunday school teachers, our families, but you pass it on to us verbally in your word. Thank you, Father for preserving to us this truth of the gospel and help us in our generation not to assume the gospel, but to believe it for ourselves and so that we might be gripped by your grace, grace shown to us as sinners, and that we would then proclaim this good news to others. Oh, Lord, please, we pray and beg of you to use this church to faithfully hold fast and and hold forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. And use us to be your instruments to draw many to saving faith in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, again for your son. Thank you that you not only sent him to die for us, but we most importantly thank you that you rose him from the grave, that he is alive right now, even at your right hand, interceding on our behalf. Thank you for the power and the name of Jesus Christ that still saves. And for this, for this we give you praise. We thank you and praise you, Lord, because we know that this salvation is not of us, but it's all of Christ. It's all of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.